Then put your little hand in mine There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb And welcome to Groundhog Minute, the podcast where we celebrate the 1993 classic Groundhog Day one repetitive minute at a time. I'm your host, Dave. And I'm your other host, Sean. And joining us today is, once again, special guest Brad Mendenhall. Welcome back, Brad. Pick out your partner and join in the fun. It's the Groundhog Minute. I am so excited to be back today. Yes, welcome yeah. back to the show. All right, let's get right into this. We are here today to talk about Minute 38. Yeah, so 38 has Phil uh, striking up a little conversation with a young lady at the diner, asked some kind of strange questions, getting her her name, high school, and 12th grade English teacher. Not your ordinary, usual first date chit-chat. And then we get uh, our next Groundhog Day, where Phil walks up and pretends to know this same young lady. I, I, I love this minute so much because it's, it's perfect, <laughs> Phil. And whenever you, you – often when you have these sort of comedies, the the main character feels like basically a eunuch unless it's the chaste attentions that he gives to the female lead. It's like, no, Phil's – Phil's a man of many passions, and it shouldn't just be him wanting to eat a lot. And he's like he, – you can sort of feel he just sort of found the, the the least frumpy girl in the in the restaurant. He's like, I'm going to try this out, and we don't really know yet. You don't really know what he's planning on doing. You have a, you just know it's 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 not pure intentions. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is definitely Phil daring himself after his conversation with Rita. I feel like he needs to kind of like. All right, well, um, let's see. I did the coffee. I did smoking. Kind of didn't really... I didn't really break Rita here. Uh, what, what was next thing I do? Oh, I know. I was like, I'm going to get some action. My well, own creepy crafted way. Yeah, so, so my question for you guys is... How long has Phil been planning this? Is this just, oh, he's walking out of the diner and, you know, he sees, you know, he sees an attractive woman and this idea pops in his head? Or... You know, has he been cooking up this plan? I think it's I think it's new. I think it's just something that sort of pops into his head. Although the the one sort of thing that almost calls back to is when he was talking to the the, the local dummies about how his perfect day where he mm. was on a beach and he made love like otters or whatever <laughs> yeah. the term was to, to this beautiful woman that he just met and it, it, you know, he's definitely viewing this day as like, oh my god, this is a day where I'm never going to have. It's not going to be warm. It's not going to be fun. Uh, I'm doing. I'm stuck in a day where it's a, like a work day that sort of sucks, and I'm not going to get laid. And then, it, so like, he's definitely thinking about it. And but I, I don't think I think this was sort of like a last minute plan where he just sees this attractive woman, and she's very middle Pennsylvania attractive. She's not dressed sexy. Her hair isn't done up. But she's, I, she's the most attractive woman in this diner, right? Other than Rita, so I think th- that's fair to say. Yeah, and uh, it, it, but they did a good job of, they did a good job of casting and dressing and putting this person together. So you know, don't have, uh, I don't know, Jennifer Lawrence or whoever is a big hot deal. 
don't don't have a strikingly beautiful woman in the middle of the diner because that, that that's not this movie. Um, so it, you know, I, I think they, they put all this together, right. And, but yeah, I, I, to answer your question, I think this was just a spur of the moment thing. Yeah. Um, and so when he introduced Nancy, now I know Sean, you and I were kind of talking about this early before we started recording, but you know, she, her outfit is very pink. It very, it stands out very much. It's very just bright is the easiest way to put it. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't find her in the earlier minutes of the movie. And I think that's very odd because if you, if she was just wearing brown denim, gray, dark green Navy, if she was wearing these miscellaneous type colors, she could have easily blended in and you could have said, Oh, she's somewhere in the crowd. Yeah. But she's wearing such just this, this flamboyant (laughs) color by comparison. Well, and even when, so even when she covers up the pink, when she's wearing her coat, her coat is very white. I mean, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a hundred percent white. I guess it's an ivory or a cream, but it's not, it's white compared to what the other folks are, are, are looking at. And yeah, I asked, I asked you about it. I actually, I I paused a moment before we started recording because I had gone back to see if I could spot Rita, and if we jump ahead, um, we're, we're going to be jumping around a, a bit, I think, um, this minute. But if you go ahead to about 56 seconds in this minute, Phil is kind of entering the main area of Gobbler's Knob. He's passing the bandstand where people are, are, are dancing, and he's just approaching Rita. And you can see on, on the right side of the screen, to Phil's left, is a woman in a pink and aqua jacket it's like the the like the chest and the arms are like a blue green or blue and then there's like a pink part kind of separating the blue parts and i've spotted her you can definitely see her on the first day when the first time phil enters gobbler's knob so i think you have I think that gives you an indication of where you should be looking in the crowd okay. to see Nancy. And I, yeah, I couldn't find her. Um, so I do think that that is a potential slip up in terms of the consistency uh, between the days that, that uh, Nancy isn't always in that same spot when Phil walks in. You know, I, I sort of think it's a good thing that you don't notice her beforehand because it could have very me- easily made it a thing where she's wearing the bright color. She sort of pops out and her catching his eye beforehand. But that would have made – could have created a situation where she's vying for his affection more than just a one-night stand. And, and I wonder – do you guys know this? Was there ever any plans for Nancy to be more of a romantic rival – for Phil's uh, attentions, uh, because you don't really see her again, except for the one scene where he's going to see a movie, and he sees her. And then mm-hmm. at the very end, she's sort of the person bidding against Andy McDowell's character to, for the date with Phil. And was there more scenes to that? Were they? Was there ever an idea of beefing up that role? I don't think so. I know that this. Um, this ruse and this kind of this thing that that Phil's going to be doing that he's starting here and we're going to see in the in the next couple minutes. Um, that's in the original script. the The first 
the the first pass, the first version of the screenplay written by by Danny Rubin has Phil kind of using these repeated days and his inside knowledge of kind of working his way through the the eligible maidens of Punxsutawney. So that's something, and then he they never have him um, get attached or, or spend too much time with any particular woman until he um, until he turns to to Rita. So, and and I don't think that's something that came up. There's only a couple revisions that they go through with Ramus before they they start shooting. So I don't think there was ever an indication that he got particularly attached to. Um, any of the woman he kind of quote unquote dates during this part of, of the cycle. All right. My man, I, I, I still want to try to keep, I, I still, I'm still trying to find Nancy. I'm still doing it. <laughs> and it's, it is pissing. And honestly, it's pissing me off. Cause yeah, I do see the woman as Sean brings up in the, the teal and, and or the other uh, aqua and pink jacket. The only thing I could think of, and I can't just say she's blocked by the gazebo because you see the other side of the gazebo when he mm-hmm. walks up. The only thing I can think of is she, she might be walking around or moving, but the minutes that he's going to find her, he probably beelined for Gobbler's Knob quicker than his usual route. That's the only thing I can think of is that this time he got to Gobbler's Knob. Somehow he got to Gobbler's Knob mm-hmm. faster and, and ignored uh, Ned Ryerson. It's the only thing I can think of. Right. Is well, that, I, yeah. Well, I was gonna say maybe there's a tip off when he, and this is um, going into t- tomorrow a little bit or the next minute. He does tell her, you know, after their conversation, he tell does tell her stay right here because maybe yeah, maybe later on in the morning she's usually someplace else where he can't find her. But now that he knows where she is, you know, he's gonna tell her stay here so I can find you later. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, like the the fact that she must, you know, she clearly is a local because she says, "I don't, I, I never, yeah, I miss it." Yeah. Um, but I mean, the fact that she's, you know, that she's single, that she's not celebrating this with anybody, it is in a weird way odd. I'm not, I'm not saying that she needs to have a boyfriend or husband, but that like she's not with other friends, you know. Like, come on, Kara, come on, Susan, let's go mm-hmm. down to the knob and let's have some fun today, and then. You know, it's like it's like this is like a weird, not say a weird, but it's an interesting morning ritual for her to have. It, she's she's going down there and she's she's celebrating it, but she's not really with anybody specifically. And then she goes to the diner by herself mm-hmm. and just gets coffee and reads the paper. Um, yeah, and, you're right. You know, this is a thing that you do with your friends. It, it's, yeah, it, it was her. It, it, like if my wife were to do something like this, it's like her. She she has her two girlfriends that she does stuff like that with, and if well, yeah, it, it's. But I, I guess they don't want to have that extra scene of Bill Murray trying to talk to her while ignoring the two friends. Yeah, it's. I guess it's just for the cleanliness of the scene to have her sitting by herself. Although I don't know when I go to a. Uh, as we talked about the diners yesterday, I don't remember the Limerick Diner there being that many attractive late 20, early 30-something uh, women there in the morning by themselves. It's That's just not sort of how it works, I I, I don't feel. <laughs> yeah, it's almost one of the reasons probably catches Phil's eye. He's like, this is this is um, too yeah. easy. Like, that's how I think he's like thinking, oh, this is going to be a lot easier than I thought. 
Yeah. <laughs> now I want to just jump in, and I, there's a lot more I want to talk about Rita and what or Nancy and what's what's going on there. But you mentioned the paper, uh, Dave, and I just yeah. want to talk about that real quickly. So we've seen this before. There's the bumper sticker on the that's been on the wall that we've seen behind Phil and, and Rita and the table where they've been sitting. And now we see, and it just says the spirit and happy Groundhog Day or something. Um, now we see the spirit is the local paper. And that's a real thing. That is, you know, another or, or one of the one of the accuracies in this film is the local paper for Punxsutawney is the Punxsutawney spirit. So that is the actual local paper that uh, that Rita's reading there. So they imported it from from Punxsutawney, PA, uh, delivered special to Woodstock, Illinois, just for this production. Cool. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I thought one interesting thing. So I'm like, oh, so I see the spirit and I kind of search. Oh, is that a thing? I, you know, the spirit Punxsutawney and and the paper website comes up and they're actually as we're recording this, they are running a story about um, uh, about. Punxsutawney Phil, uh, coincidentally enough, and what they're the, the it's it's a real it's barely even a story it's like one paragraph but they had a press conference in front of the Jefferson County Courthouse after the Monroe County Sheriff's Office challenged Phil on a weather based charge so apparently uh, the the Phil had run afoul of the law, um, <laughs> but eventually uh, local representatives made it clear that Phil was just doing his job reporting the weather and that any complaint about winter storms should be directed towards Mother Nature. So oh, Phil fine. just reports the weather. He's not responsible for it. And you said, wait, wait I, I got to turn around here. You said that was in Woodstock? No, this is in Punxsutawney. in Punxsutawney. So this is on the the the, the website for the the Punxsutawney Spirit, which is the actual the, the new the local paper for uh, for Punxsutawney, PA. And I'll put up a link, um, particularly to to this story, particularly because there is a picture of um, so there's a there's a picture of uh, Sheriff Carl Gottwald from Jefferson County, Gottwald. Uh, from from Jefferson County, um, and he kind of looks like a laid back sheriff. He's actually he's in like a like a polo shirt, but it's got a little it's a black shirt with a yellow star, so you know he's a sheriff. But he's with three gentlemen wearing top hats, just like the Groundhog Wranglers that we see in the movie. So uh, another another accuracy, another another place where we see that the folks making this movie went the extra mile that they put. They put their groundhog crew in top hats, just like the real guys. And, and now, now you said it was in front of the was it Jefferson? The, this this little this little lawsuit, if you will, this little crime against Phil. This was in front of the. Um, yeah, well, this is with. Um, yeah, I, I. It's a very short blurb. I'm a little confused because they reference uh, a Jefferson County sheriff, but then they say this took this. Um, this actually took place um, after the Monroe County Sheriff's Office pressed charges against Phil. <laughs> so I don't know if there was like extradition involved between Jefferson County and Monroe County, or if this is like okay, are this like a Hatfield and McCoy thing? Are these two counties like ancient rivals? And 
you know, yeah. Phil just kind of get caught in the middle of this. But uh, yeah. So, but yeah, I guess this was at Je- the Jefferson County Courthouse. But the original uh, charge, the weather-based charge, came from the Monroe County Sheriff. Oh, okay. It's it's a very complicated story. There's a lot yeah. of ins, a lot of outs. Yeah. Pennsylvania's a weird state, man. The, the, yeah, the reason <laughs> to say I, the least. The reason I bring it up is um, I just got the um, the Arcadia Publishing Images of America book about Punxsutawney, mm-hmm. and so I've been reading it. And I was trying to find a picture of it. Um, I'm I'm still early in the book. It's not till almost the end they kind of save the best for last. They actually they have a, all the I think it's like the last one of the last chapters is about the Groundhog Festival and Gobbler's Knob. I kind of like I don't want to jump to it because I want to kind of you know look through the rest of the book. But uh, it's kind of fun to like look at like really early twentieth uh, turn of the twentieth century and into the eighteen hundreds, um, early settling days of the uh, of um, that town, Punxsutawney, the real one. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I was like, you know, you know, uh, if you ever listeners, I honestly, if, it's, it's one of those things where if you like history, check out the Arcadia publishing books, you'll probably find one about your town. You've probably seen it around, mm-hmm. um, you know, give them a few bucks, you know, go find, go find your local town and, uh, buy, buy a copy for your, for your dad or your uncle. I'm sure they're going to like it. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of that series. That's the images of America series where they'll, you know, if, if you have a hometown or the town you currently live with or wherever you are, there's probably a book just on just on that town with with old images and pictures and, and a little bit of history through uh, through the years and the centuries. And, yeah, there's there's one on uh, there's one on Punxsutawney. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like that, that's the book that like your local county or town's historical society like that's the book that it's made for. Like all the hard work that all those like people did collecting all the images and cataloging it, it's like they, you know, they, everyone got their act together and they helped make that book. And uh, yeah, it really helps if you're trying to get a feel for how that town went from settlement to to what it is now. Well, the um, so- the fun thing that you reminded me about with just talking about that and Puxatani Phil and all the reactions to it is. I, I'm lucky enough. I, I live in Pennsylvania, uh, sort of in a, like a, a small town in Pennsylvania, a Puxitani-ish town, and we, they take Phil's stuff serious in this in, in this state, and especially the middle part of the state. And there's always some story, and there's always some crazy story about other Pennsylvania towns that have their own groundhog and actually comparing which groundhog is better at predicting the seasons, and it's like. <laughs> Uh, and honest to God, it's crazy. And there's also an advertising campaign for the PA State Lottery with Gus, the second most famous groundhog in Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's just animatronic, creepy-looking groundhog. He's like, you should play the lottery. It's like, no, I'm not that dumb. And then uh, it, it, and this movie does a great job of just sort of showing the the weird sort of likable charming madness that happens in these small towns and every small and you know i'm sure it's the same all over the country but because um because of sort of the way there's a lot of mountainous and hilly areas of pennsylvania you have a lot of towns that are sort of almost and it's obviously it's become lessened as communication improves but um towns that are sort of insular Mm-hmm. Because if you're in 
Shrewsbury once upon a time. Well, there's mountains to the left, mountains to the right, and Maryland to the south of you. Um, the, the town was actually sort of small, and it had a bunch of old houses. And, it just, and there was no good roads to go through that. And then eventually they put a big road all the way through. So Marylanders could move up here and go down there. But uh, before that, it wasn't so much. And you, you had these very insular towns with these all these weird little um, activities and festivals and uh, a particular circus that came to town and, and set up in one field every year it's still, that still comes to town. And uh, yeah, it, this movie does a great job of that. But yeah, it, but central Pennsylvania is... Nuts about Groundhog Day, and they're nuts about that stupid groundhog. All right, so, all right, let's talk about, we got to talk about his plan here. We, we've kind of danced around it, but I think he got his plan from Ned, because he, 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 you know, he name drops the school, name drops the class. Um, you know, he's kind of doing the same thing Ned did. You know, Ned, Ryerson, school, remember this? I had that. Like it's like it's Ned Ooh. going. I'm going to apply this. This I'm going to apply the same idea to Nancy because probably to Phil, um, you know, even though Ned is telling him this, you know, he's told him two or three times now. It probably took Phil a long time to remember. Like, do I remember Ned? You know, like do I honestly remember Ned? You know, like. Uh, wow, that's that's I hadn't picked up on that before, but that's really good. Yeah, there's definite parallels between. The rundown that Ned gives. Now he doesn't go far as to say, you know, I, I dated your sister Mary Pat three times till you told me not to, kind of thing. But yeah, he kind of runs down the same sort of things that that Ned was doing. He says school. He mentions yeah. He mentions a school. He mentions like an activity, and then at the end he mentions kind of like some intimate personal thing. He goes, oh, I was short, and I've since grown. You know, he. It's like, you know, it's like the same pattern Ned does where it's, yeah. you know, remember me from class, uh, you know, um, and then he gets a little bit more specific. And at the end, it's like you tell like this sort of like embarrassing uh, thing about yourself that kind of like says like, see, I'm telling you something embarrassing. Like, you know, I wouldn't tell you this if I wasn't, like, if I didn't yeah. want you to recognize me. Well, so to hold on to a little bit because we don't get the full plan yes, until next minute. So I, I don't want to say too much. I kind of want to save, um, save what I'm going to say about this. Okay. But um, so, so Brad, while you're with us, you, you know, we don't get the full we don't get the full plan unraveling in this minute, but we at least see we see the foundation that Phil lays in the diner, and then we see him approaching Nancy, pretending to know her, and we know that she's not going to remember the stuff that happened in the diner. So, and and I'll also say so. One of the things we've talked about in the show that Phil, when he goes nuts, when he gets depressed, and he wants out of this loop. He doesn't seem to hurt, like physically hurt other people. Like he gets suicidal. We see him try to kill himself. We see him, he, he kidnaps, he tries to kill the groundhog. But he, he generally doesn't act violent towards anyone else. He's just trying to kill himself. Um, but, this in, but in a sense, he is acting out against other people, you know, against Nancy with this, this ruse here. So kind of what's what's your take on this, on, on kind of, you know, using this this situation that Phil is in, using it to uh, 
to work his way with the women. What do you think about that? The, the, there's actually two thoughts that come to head. First off, they, they couldn't do this in a movie now. You, you could not have him... Well, not a comedy. Yeah. yeah. It, and the closest thing they've done to that recently was the Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence movie, Passengers, mm-hmm. where mm, yeah. and that movie got so much controversy, and it sort of ended up gutting the movie financially, aside from the fact that it, my understanding is it wasn't particularly good. But I think there was so much backlash because the whole thing, as spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yet, they're in some sort of suspended animation on a 90-year journey through space. Chris Pratt, his uh, tube malfunctions, and he wakes up a year or two before her and sort of wakes her up without her knowing that he did it. And it made everyone really uncomfortable because it, uh, it was just such creepy behavior. That wouldn't have been creepy behavior if the movie had been made 10 years before. 10 years before with, I don't know, or 20 years before with Mel Gibson and Jamie Lee Curtis starring in it, it would have been a huge hit movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so what he's doing is really creepy. And I just today, my wife is a big fan of the show um, Catfish. <laughs> the okay. uh, yeah. yeah, the MTV show where they find people who haven't ha- they ha- they're on online relationships and they're pretty sure that they they discover the person really is who they say they are. The episode my wife watched today and told me to watch it too. It was a guy who the guy who was doing the catfishing. It turned out that he pretended to be a girl, befriended another girl online to find out what she was into and what she liked and her favorite songs and her favorite music and her favorite movies. And then as himself, he reached out to that girl. It's like, oh, really? You like Christina Aguilera too? And use that to sort of weasel his way in. And it, it was so creepy in that context. And he's really doing the exact same thing that Phil's doing. You're mm-hmm. sort of scoping out the information to pretend to be who you aren't. Now, it's Bill Murray. And the girl and Nancy, the only things we know about her is what she's saying with Phil. She's sort of faceless and nameless in this. So you don't, it doesn't connect. If we had delved any deeper into that character it would come across worse than it does and also it it still is jerky but it does seem like a no harm no foul because the day after it didn't happen everything gets erased and that's sort of what phil's going through although and again in current context seems way too close to it seems too close to him catfish here and find her information and then roofing her so she doesn't remember it the next day yeah this I mean, is <laughs> shouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been anticipating with uh, not just a little bit of trepidation of of how, yeah, how to handle the, these minutes because this is a comedy for the most part. It's a it's a light hearted movie, even when it gets dark, it doesn't get that dark, and this was, you know, looking at it with twenty eighteen eyes. It's a lot darker than it was, and yeah, I like the, um, I like the comparison with with passengers, and I actually haven't seen, um, I haven't seen the end of that. <laughs> I think I've seen like two thirds of it. So at one point, um, so at one point Jennifer Lawrence learns that she was woken up on purpose. 
she, you know, she, her tube didn't just malfunction at the same time that, you know, Chris Pratt's did that he woke her up just cause he didn't want to be alone. And, you know, he kind of picked her out cause she's, she's attractive. And at the point of the movie, I've stopped, she still doesn't like him. I don't know if she comes around at the end. Um, it also reminds me of, um, of an older movie that's in a, the similar time, uh, to this, well, it's a few years earlier. This Groundhog Day came out in '93. In 1987, there was a movie Overboard with, uh, <laughs> with, with Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, where uh, Goldie Hawn is this uh, rich, beautiful heiress who falls off her yacht and gets amnesia, and Kurt Russell is this poor, blue collar, single father guy who sees the the news story that there's this beautiful woman in the hospital and she has amnesia and she doesn't remember anything. And he shows up and says, Oh honey, yo, you're okay. We were so worried about you. And kind of, you convinces her that, that they're a family. And I think in the end, so at, at one point, you know, she, her memory comes back and she realizes what's been done, but She's fallen in love with the family and and it's all okay when it's like, yeah, okay, maybe it wasn't physically co- coercive, but you've basically been been raping this woman the whole movie. Yeah. I yeah. mean, just I, I don't know I don't know how else to say it. You've been assaulting this woman throughout the whole movie, and then in the end she falls in love with you. Which was something that used to happen in movies. It happened, you know, and and we didn't second guess it. We didn't think, well, gee, that's really you know, maybe we didn't like the movie, but we wouldn't necessarily think that was creepy because that's what happened in movies in the 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and, and the 90s. I guess the the only saving grace for for what Phil's doing here is that it is a true reset. It's not just, oh, she's not going to remember so she won't be traumatized or she won't be heartbroken that, she, you know, that he tells her all these wonderful things and it turns out to be a one night stand. It's not just that she doesn't remember it. It literally doesn't happen in her world. She, you know, the, the psychological effects, the physical effects, there's no effect because to her viewpoint, once this resets, it's, it never happened, but it's still, you know, it's, it's still in Phil's head. And now it's in what we know about Phil. And right. I don't know if we can get over that. It's by the way, the re, you know there's a remake of that coming out overboard. No, I did not. <laughs> yes. Oh boy. They are doing a gender reverse version of that with Anna Ferris playing the Kurt Russell role. And the the male lead is the guy who is the rich guy who has amnesia. Um Who is but, do you know do you know who the other, the uh, the guy is now? It's not a it's it's not a known guy. I think it's like Eugenio Derbez or something like oh. that. It would have been funny if it was Chris Pratt because like they used to be married. Yeah, it, yeah. If they had filmed that together and then that awkward and every now and then that happens, a couple this together films a movie and then they split up. I think that <laughs> and then you with... end up with Geely and it never goes well. Yeah. yeah. Just, uh... Um. Actually, I was just I was thinking of a worst film that dealt oh, deals oh, with. Oh, oh, oh. Let me, I, I want to guess. I want to guess what you're gonna say. Revenge of the Nerds. No, actually, shoot, I didn't think about that. I was going with 50, 50 First Dates. Oh, okay, yeah. 
Okay. You remember? Well, I think, uh, yeah, see. You remember uh, the ending? Yeah, because the ending, they're married with kids, and he basically yeah. has to remind her every morning that, by the way, we're married with kids. Yeah. That she, I mean, like, that's a hell of having a, a bad brain function that she keeps thinking it's her, like, 28th birthday or something. And to be like, no, A, time has passed. B, you and I have fell in love in a way. And yeah, we've had, we're having kids. And yeah, yeah, we live on this boat off of Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, at least he seemed to be a little more. You're right. It, it, it would just, there is a hell on earth thing. Is Can you imagine her waking up thinking she's 28 and looking down and seeing that she's seven months pregnant? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. do, do you, I mean, if you, I mean, like, I'm going to just, just spoil the whole film, obviously. But if you remember, it's kind of a bad thing where in 51st Dates, when when he first, when Am Sailor first meets her, and, uh, Drew Barrymore's character in this movie, her whole friend and family around the island in Hawaii, they're all playing it up. Like, they're like, oh, she's got this brain deficiency where it's like she got in a car accident and like her on her, on her 20th birthday and she keeps resetting every day. So we just play along with it that it's that day. Every- so it's like they were never helping her. They were like every day she went to the thing and they were like, oh, here's your birthday cake and this and that. So they were groundhog daying her technically. Yeah. And so she was actually never going to get better, really. Like, you know, if if no, if her friends and family were never to help. So it's just kind of like she was from one bad situation of they were not telling her, yeah, you're getting older. You're not 28 anymore. And then Adam Sandler's like, well, we fell in love and we're continuing our lives. But I have to have a VHS tape and eventually update this to Blu-ray. Of this. <laughs> These are all the days and years we spent together. Yeah. Yeah, no. I was just thinking of like the whole sexual assault and how it was apparently funny in the eighties. Because <laughs> you realize, <sighs> as time has gone by, in Revenge of the Nerds, the nerds are actually hideous, hideous, rapey, uh, uh, sexual assaulty, uh, and revenge porn people. They, they <laughs> yes. It's like, wow! I really want those jocks to go over and just kick the crap out of those guys. Uh, 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 I just, I just had a, a guest on Carolyn who, uh, did a podcast, uh, about Saved by the Bell and one episode, it's like one of the worst ones is it's, uh, Kelly and Zach at this point in the, in the show, they're going through a breakup. And so at the damn, ha- uh, Halloween ball, Zach wrote, uh, Kelly a letter pretending that he was Slater saying that I'm going to dress up in this outfit. And a fan, and like a fan of the opera type outfit, and so when Kelly thinks that's Slater, they dance and they kiss, and he takes off his mask, and she's like Zach, and he's like, yeah, but you liked it. It's like, ah, no, it's not a good defense. <laughs> she kissed you thinking you were a different person. You can't just rip off the mask and say, well, because you liked this kiss, that means everything I did up to this point was validated. You can't do that. Yeah, there, there's a, I think like a funnier die show. Like Zach Morris is the worst person ever. Oh yeah, Zach Morris is trash. Zach Morris mm-hmm. is trash. Yeah, and just having those where you know, and uh, Jean Paul Gosselaar is actually a really charming, likable actor who's done good work since that. But yeah, Zach Morris was a just a real little piece of crap, <laughs> and often one have to 
pay like wouldn't get his comeuppance. No, he would not. And it was uh, <laughs> that show was pretty fun. I saw like one or two episodes. Like, oh my god, they're completely right. My wife's watching, and my wife is in the right age where she loved that show growing up. And when it's a terrible show that you love growing up, you still love it afterwards, even if you can tell that it's crap. Yeah. So she watches like, well, he he wasn't that bad. It's like, aren't you watching this? <laughs> This is just clips from the show. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's the worst part is that I, I, there are so many times it's bad. Look, if you're interested, listeners, trust me, sbtbreview.com, check it out, sub- subscribe. They have all the episodes. And yeah, they even do the part where they get into the part, the, the special where, yeah, eventually Kelly does uh, marry Zach. You know, they apparently do f- really fall in love this time and really get married. After all the horrible things he does to all of his friends. Yeah, yeah. It's... uh, God, the crap we watched. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it makes you wonder, the thing is, what is it going to be like 20 years ago? What what are we going to look back at today? And I think somebody called out where there was so much excitement over this past year regarding um, the Wonder Woman movie and how it was a female-led movie with a female director and it was so innovative. It's like, you know, 10 years from now... People are gonna watch it. It's like, ah, oh, it was so aggressive in the costume, and da da da. It's like, you, you know, are we gonna look back on some of the things that we think of progressive, and say, ah, not quite as much as we thought. We were patting ourselves on the back a little too hard. There is some. I mean, I, I, and honestly, I enjoy the the film. Just the ending fight was still the formulaic. Like I've yeah, actually had a yeah. big problem with it. That's the same thing. I, that's the same problem I have with Black Panther. I got really bored at that final fight scene. I was like, I, I was like, I, I get it. We need to have a fight, but having like the oh the villain and the hero, they're so similar and they fight. It's like ah, like I I, I saw it with Ant Man. I saw it with Iron Man. I saw it, but but everything else, like up to that point, it's all good setup. It's all good. But it's like it's a comic book movie. You need to have the good guy, the bad guy fight. There's like no way around it. Like. That's kind of like that's the bit. Like you, well, you gotta have the guys punch each other a lot, right? So right. that's that's pro- that's probably what we'll look back in like ten years, being like, "Wow, remember the old comic movies that just had the guys punch each other at the end, and now it's like, <laughs> you know." I mean, hey, let's talk about you know uh, Doctor Strange. He straight up time loops a uh, a uh, uh, dimensional being mm-hmm. and saying, "Hey, I'm gonna time loop us forever. I'm gonna Groundhog us day." Groundhog Day us right now, <laughs> unless you fix the timeline. And he's like, son of a gun, Doctor Strange, you win this round. So it's like, hey, I like that. You know, kind of flipped it on its head. He's not like, oh, we're going to, you know, time punch each other. So, yeah, but that wasn't, I mean, that, so the, the loop part of that was Groundhog Day, no doubt. But I felt the, the bigger part of the plan was really from uh, Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, where he's like, you're, you're stuck with me. Your choice is, you know, like, you know, the, the haunted house that ended up destroying itself rather than have the Simpsons live in it. He's like, <laughs> not only are you in a loop, you're stuck in a loop with me unless you say, you know, save the earth slash don't destroy the earth. And, the, you know, the interdimensional being was like, you know what? It's not worth it just to, to have to put up with you, This, you know. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbund or, you know, whatever your name is, like, <laughs> fine, fine. I'll, I will leave this dimension if I don't have to see your face again. If I don't have to hear that sort of almost American accent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've come here to negotiate. No way British. Yeah. All right. All right. I got I to gotta, 
I gotta pull us from the planes of time and space back to Punxsutawney. All right, but it's, back it's to my fault. It's my fault. I know. I I, I took us there. Um, well, what one thing that I was just wildly excited, and I'm so glad in this moment uh, to have this minute. I have heard the song Pennsylvania Polka my entire life. <laughs> I love that polka song. And oh, it's I, great! Yeah, I can recognize it no matter how you play it. And uh, every kid in Pennsylvania has heard that a thousand times. God forbid if you played an instrument and you were in a middle school or elementary school band, you played that song. And uh, every kid in middle school had a gym class where you learned the polka, and you'd polka around the gymnasium to Pennsylvania polka. That that it was like oh my god I I know that song I remember watching this movie with my wife on on TV is like oh Pennsylvania polka she's like what 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 it's like that's, that song it's the Pennsylvania polka it's like you recognize polka music it's like just that one <laughs> just that one <laughs> yeah but if you know one you know them all they're all yeah kind of the same but so it was yeah. uh, that's... up the music the band has begun. Yeah, it is catchy. I do catch myself just from watching the movie and doing the podcast. I do catch myself just humming that throughout the day at random points. It's just a good. It's just a. It's good wholesome fun. You know, no, no one, no one's, uh, no one's getting beaten up with a with a just a good old fashioned polka dance. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I know. I've 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 had it. I've heard it at weddings. I've had I've heard it oh. at Pennsylvania weddings. So don't worry. Um. Okay, so yeah, so so okay, he gets his Zach Morris like plan. He's like recites the names in his head, and then he smiles. You know, he nods, smiles, and then quickly leaves. He's like, "Up, oh, plans initiated," and she's just you know confused. And then yeah, we we click, and you're you know obviously we're all like Pavlov's dog trained to to salivate and think that it's going to be Sunny and Cher, but uh, no, no, they traded up. They traded right. up this time. It's Pennsylvania but, polka and it, goes and, and, right to the polka, and it's good because it it, it it also it helps set yeah obviously sets in the next scene. We don't have to. It's the easiest way for the movie to say we're not going to worry about the bed and breakfast. We're not meeting Sean's buddy in the hall. We're not meeting Mrs. Lancaster who controls who is the Dormammu of the of, of punks and <laughs> yeah. twenty. She controls all time and space. Uh, we're going right to Gobbler's Knob. Yeah, how's uh what has been the thoughts or the feelings about? And of all the songs to, to have uh, that Sonny and Cher song is, is playing over and over again, uh, it's uh, it, what are your guys' thoughts on that selection and that song in general? Uh, it's 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 perfect and it's um, just it, it's annoyance over time. Like I'm not annoyed of it, but it's perfect that I know it can get annoying. And that Sonny and Cher just keeps singing it. There's nothing else to be said about it. I got you, babe. And and, and me and Sean, we've gone in almost philosophical terms of who's got who. Is time got filled? Is, is it Mrs. Lancaster telling him, like, I got you trapped in a time portal? You know, is it, is it, uh, is it uh, Sonny and Cher almost tongue-in-cheek making fun of Phil that he's alone in this? That he mm. has no one, he's got no one to, uh, you know, he slept alone, he's going to go to bed alone, he's going to wake up alone. There's no nothing he can do about it. I, I find the story of Sonny and Cher fascinating, and I'm always reminded of it, especially with that song and hearing it. And I always think back to 
uh, maybe five, six years before uh, Sonny Bono passed away. He was on the Letterman show, and Cher was on it too. And first off, they couldn't look any more different by that point. Uh, Sonny Bono uh, had gone into politics, so he was always, you know, professionally dressed. He was wearing a suit and tie. And there's Cher, who at that point was pretty deep into her reemergence. It was she's had three or four regenerations. She's Doctor Who, basically. <laughs> and she was like the weird fifty-something or late fifty-something sex bomb. So she was. That's why she's doing the videos where she's wearing a thong on a. A, a, a naval battleship and uh so there she's in wearing something like really glamorous and sexy with big teased out hair and there's sunny bono looking like your accountant and then they sang i got you babe and of course the whole thing is they they've been divorced for god 20 30 years at that point and then doing that song and it's it just always reminded me of that and it's like also a reminder that sooner or later no matter how nasty the breakup almost all acts have that like reunion thing. And it's like, Oh my God, we're probably about 10, 15 years away from, uh, Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey singing a song on, you know, <laughs> on, you know, whoever replaces Jimmy Kimmel at that point. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's always such a sort of rife with meaning song. It, it's, they, they, there's a thousand songs they could have picked from that same era where there's no, back story or anything like that and just whenever you think of Sonny and Cher you think of those two together and just how weird all that crap was mm -hmm. hey alright Sean I want to ask you this now we're at I'm at second 51 I've kind of gone over the, the wake up in bed scene why does he look over to the other side of the bed are we to believe that earlier in this earlier in the day before he restarted that huh. he actually might have met with Nancy and maybe try to take her back to his place. What do you? Th and he's like, you know, the fact that maybe he went to bed with her in here in this bed, but he woke up alone. You know, like that's what I'm going with. What do you think? Like, why does he do that quick head turn to the? Yeah, to the you know bed? what? I hadn't really put put a finger on. I had noticed that head turn that he looks over to the other side of the bed. Um, I don't think he's looking for Nancy. Because I think he left it where it was on that day where we see him. He gets, you know, he does his his investigative reporting. He kind of gets the dirt. He gets the deets on Nancy and then he leaves her alone. But one of the things we're going to see later is he doesn't just play this trick on Nancy. That he he does this to other women. We I mean, we only see one. They kind of cut the loops down, but I think the the implication is clear that he is doing this over and over again with different women in the town. And so maybe that's a sign. Maybe Nancy isn't the first. Maybe Nancy is just the first that we see that, you know, where he's doing this. So maybe there was, maybe there was someone else that he runs into quote unquote, I'm doing the air quotes runs into after you know, after the conversation with Nancy in the diner, yeah, maybe there was someone on that side of the bed the night before. And yeah, he's just kind of checking it out going, all right, you know, loop, don't fail me now. And and, and I, I want to say this again, because obviously, you know, the idea of catfishing a woman within a day with, with her, you know, old schoolmate to get her in bed is, it's mm -hmm. creepy. But on the other hand, I got to play devil's advocate here. <laughs> on the other we, hand, it's creepy, but... It's, 
I, I, I have to say this. We talked about this in earlier episodes, so I need to like, bring it up. Phil, right now, outside of just one, the carnal want of just wanting a woman, Phil doesn't know what he needs to do to get out of the loop. Phil, it's not like to the audience, we know Phil's a jerk. Phil needs to improve because we know how movies work. But to Phil in the universe, he doesn't know what fate, what time, what whatever is keeping him here wants him to do. And and we talked about he's probably spent, you know, a thousand years in this town. And mm-hmm. so he's probably going to meet every person of this town. He, he makes it sound like he has later so he's going to meet every person and he's probably going to try to bet every woman and he's probably going to try to drink and learn every secret of every guy in town he's going to probably take a crap in every person's bathroom whether they like it or not (laughs) like everything we talked about i'm bringing it back up he's going to know every person's uh the skeletons in their closets what's under their bed what's their secret heirloom what's the one thing they did that they they regret doing he's going to he's because he's going to try and figure out what is it? He's gonna he's gonna try he's gonna blame the town. Somebody, something in this town is what I need to do to get out of this loop before he realizes, oh, is it is it me? Like that's what it's gonna be. He's gonna be the last place he looks for the reason how to get out of the town. It's always the last place you look. It's always the last place you look. Factually, because it that is the last place you look. Yeah. When I don't even know if he's thinking at this point, I wouldn't say that Phil is thinking about you know, trying to piece together what he can do to get out of this loop. I think he's just trying to stay sane. He's just doing stuff and, you know, just, you know, playing the game and going along with it. I don't think, you know, I, I, I can't, I, I just, I can't follow the line of reasoning that says, yeah, maybe Nancy is going to break the loop. Oh, I think no. he's just yeah, like, right. yeah, I, you know, I'm stuck in this loop. I might as well make the best of it. And, you know, this way I don't have to tell Mrs. Lancaster that I slept alone. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Um, I mean, I guess I'm looking at it from a person who, you know, if you're playing like a tabletop game, right? And uh, and and you're you're you're. I want to get real 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 nerdy here. So your dungeon master is like, okay, you enter a new town. The town is of Riverfront, and it, this and and they're describing the towns. So you get it in your head, and you're like, and you and the whole time you're thinking like. All right, what what is it the dungeon master A wants me to do? B, what can I get away with? And C, where's the tavern where I could drink and start a fight? So, I feel like Phil is at yeah, Phil is still in that part of he's just yeah, he's trying to make the most out of each day in the town. He does he doesn't want to, even though the day repeats, Phil is definitely at the point now where he doesn't want to repeat the day. Do you get know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's the same day on the calendar, but he's like outside of just have the minimum he has to deal with Rita and Larry. He gets that out of the way. And then he spends the day, yeah, either romancing women or checking out other people in the town, figuring out, talking to this person, that person, trying to just make the most out of it because you know he's going to repeat it. He's going to have to try something else. So um, that's how I see it as, yeah. Is you're right. We're not at the investigating how do I figure out the town and how I figure out the loop. But it's him just trying to make sure he, he makes each day right now, each day count toward the end goal is what I can say. Right. Right. But also just trying to make each day different. In Yeah. Yeah. Just trying to do something different each day. I mean, I think that's what would make me crazy. I, I, I have the personality where if I have to 
backtrack. If I realize I leave something at home, I'll try to find a different way home because I can't stand the idea of driving the same section of road four times. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I went up, I got to go back, and I go up. And it's like, no, I can't. It, it, that'll make me crazy. And I got to imagine that would be the thing that would just completely drive Phil insane and not just the futility or the, the, the dark things about it, but just having to go through that same broadcast day after day and having to have the same inane conversations or listen to the same stuff or having to explain it all over again to Andy McDowell or whoever else he would decide to share the secret with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever you can do just to have some variance would be, uh, I, I, I imagine, vital to him just like keeping his head about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, all right. So we end the minute with him. uh, Does that look, looking for the crowd to find her? Either he's known where she is on previous days or, you know, know, he's scoped out how to to pull this off as smooth as possible. Um, So that's where we end the minute. So who's else got some notes before we wrap it up? That was the end of mine. I was just, I I have Pennsylvania Polka on my notes in all caps. (laughs) Good, good, very good. good. Highlight that, underline that, bold that, good. Right, Sean, yeah, what do you I, got? I, I got one last thing that around from probably from around 52 seconds to 55, 56 on the left side of your screen. There's a gentleman with a leather jacket with fringe, leather hat, blue jeans. Oh, that guy's cool. That's my new favorite. That's my favorite guy in this movie. Holy! That's my new favorite guy. Damn! I'm so glad you pointed him out. That He's got is... yeah the the fringe going on the the wide brimmed leather hat. I'm guessing he wrote in. He wrote in either. <laughs> Either a Triumph, or maybe he's got like a like a 1970s Yamaha. But he definitely <laughs> came to town on a motorcycle, and he is just sporting the fringe. I want to party with that Dude, guy. Either yeah. he rode in on a steel horse or an actual horse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, 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 yeah. Smoke, smoking rolled tobacco. Like he rolled the tobacco oh, himself. Oh yeah. And he's, it. he's he's got yeah. He's got a pouch and, and a pack of papers. Like I just I want to for one day. You know, can we bring Harold Ramis back and say for one day? Forget about Phil and follow that guy. What is that guy's Groundhog Day like? Oh man, that guy. Oh, yeah. That you know what that would be this what this movie would be if they made it today. First <laughs> off, we would completely get rid of uh, the Phil Nancy thing because kind of weird, and also uh, we're we're in an era where they don't make single movies anymore. It feels there would this would be like this would be a tentpole. <laughs> yes, it's like it, there would be either a second feature the next year uh, with that guy, or it would be a direct DVD. It's mm-hmm. like Fringe Jacket guy, his story. It's like. I, all right. I'm. Yeah, I'm gonna call that guy Craig. That's Craig. I'm calling uh-huh. him Craig. Can we okay. write this down? We gotta write this down somewhere. All right. Uh, I'm gonna write that in a note. Okay. All right. Oh God. Like this kind of overwrote the entire minute. <laughs> it's just like all right. Minute thirty-eight. Craig with the hat and fringe. Just so the I remember. Fringe, yeah. Okay. And, and I said last. All right. So now I have a new final note. <laughs> I can't tell if the woman he's walking with in green, if that's an actual friend or it's kind of one of those, like, 
you're you like you know it's just a complete stranger you don't know each other's names but you're making that small talk because you're already walking in the same direction so it's like oh we've already struck i i, I did that once walking to a convention yeah she, this woman had a backpack on and it was a, and it was about and she had a bunch of board games and stuff and i could tell and so we're like oh you're going to board convention yeah and so we just walked a few blocks and i said all right have fun and she's like, have fun and that was it like we didn't know each other's names we didn't know the specifics of what we were going to do but we were like well we're Walking in the same direction, and we seem to be pretty excited about where we're going. So I feel like that's the same. You know, that woman, he doesn't know her, and she doesn't know him. Because she's like, oh, just get in town. He's like, yeah, just rode my horse into town. Just uh, <laughs> checking out Phil, you know? Uh, yeah. I, 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 sorry, go I, ahead, Brad. I remember being at a concert. My wife and I have not necessarily the most synced up taste in music. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll just go to a concert by myself, and I'm sitting next to... Uh, this young woman, and I'm like, again, I was like, same thing what you're saying, trying to make conversation. And then there's the weird thing when you're doing that where uh, you think, oh, crap, does she think I'm trying to chat her up? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, now I have to, like, somehow shoe hint, shoehorn in a conversation, like, my wife into the conversation. My wife! Like, yeah. My wife. Like, For, that's the uh, easiest way to do it, bro. I don't want to tell you. And it's so <laughs> insulting to them. Where you don't want them to think you're chatting him up, but when you say it, I'm sure it comes across as like, "Hey, I don't want you to think you have a chance with me." <laughs> yeah. It's like, ugh, gosh, <laughs> it's like she was just the only reason I'm doing it, so she doesn't have to go through the effort of shooting me down beforehand. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I get that. Yeah, no, you're you're talking to so yeah, you're, you know. I'm talking to some uh, uh, some girl at a coffee shop or uh, 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 some other, just any social thing. And you're just, yeah, trying to make conversation with your boyfriend. And you're like, I know why you did it. And I, I know you had, it's almost like part of the playbook. Like, I get it. I mean, make the conversation. You talk about the podcasts. You, you push you push your podcast. You push your uh, whatever new novel you're writing. And there you go. You push, you push the boyfriend. I get it. It's like, I it's like we have to go through this. It's like a certain song and dance we gotta get through. It, so, is what it is. Um, okay, I got yeah, I got some more notes now because of all this with this crowd. But I don't. I gotta save it for tomorrow. That's that's tomorrow's problem. All right, we all good? Yeah, that's all I got. This has been a this has been so much fun, guys. I really appreciate you you, you bringing me along for this. Yeah, it's been some fun episodes. I want to thank I want to thank you very much, Brad, for uh, spending the day with us in Punks of Tony. And yeah, so just you know, one more time, let the listeners know where can they find you. Uh, the, the the Mothership Show is the Cosmic Chipetto podcast where we talk about movies, music, eh, pretty much everything geeky. It's a lot of fun. We have an amazing batch of panelists, including Sean and Dave. Uh, they've both been on several times. They will be both be on again. And uh, we we have a lot of fun stuff coming up uh, in April. We're going to be talking. Uh, and I don't know when this episode will be out. It might be out by the, yeah, it should be out in April. Um, what we're going to be talking about uh, Avengers, Avengers: Infinity War is coming out. We're going to be doing so many conversations about that. Uh, and then there's of course Men of Darkness, uh, the completed podcast series talking about the uh, the Sam Raimi movie Army of Darkness. A lot of fun. Uh, download all the episodes on iTunes, and you know, hey, spend a weekend and. Uh, the other current show that we have going on is the uh, Flash Gordon Minute, which is three times a week, and we get to talk about Brian Blessed and uh, his, his amazing beard and laugh. 
So uh, you, you should uh, you should join us. Definitely. Thank you very much, Brad. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for for stopping by, and uh, thank you everyone out there in podcast land for listening. And we will see you tomorrow, if there is one. Let them say your hair's too long.